So welcome Amanda Dots today to our program. Amanda is a registered dietitian nutritionist. We're super excited to have you on. We know you specialize uh, in prenatal nutrition, but explain to us a little bit about your journey into um, this nutrition avenue in your life and why you're so passionate about it. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited and honored to be here with you today. I've been a registered dietitian for 10 years now, and I started specializing in the pregnancy space around 2021 after going through my own journey to motherhood. I just realized that our community is greatly lacking in prenatal nutrition, and so it was something that inspired me to start my own practice and just start helping other moms in our community, and uh, I'm extremely passionate about it. It doesn't feel like work to me. I just really enjoy meeting with clients and helping educate our community. So yeah. I love that. Share with us a little bit because I, I think a lot of people don't completely understand dietitian, nutritionist, et cetera. And I think it's important for us to have a really clear understanding from you about that. Absolutely. That's a great question. And it's something that I think every dietitian is trying to explain to the general public. I'll try to give you the cliff notes of you, right? So registered dietitians have much more extensive schooling than a nutritionist. So I have a bachelor's degree in science uh, with a dietetics uh, focus. Actually, starting in 2024, any dietitian will have to also complete a master's program. So it's, there's just a lot more schooling involved. We also have to complete over 1,200 hours of an accredited internship where we go through different scenarios. So we do food service, clinical, and community work. We have to have hours in every single one of those areas and kind of meet this criteria to sit for a nationally recognized dietitian exam. And so very, very strict rules on, you know, the schooling that you have to have, the education you have to have to become a dietitian. And then after you complete your exam, you typically have to be licensed in the states that you practice. So I'm currently licensed in uh, Washington and Idaho, and that just kind of protects our license, right? So our, our name, our, our dietitian status. And then furthermore, after that, every five years, we have to have 75 continuing education credits that we have to go out on our own and continue education so we stay up to date with the current research and evidence so that way when we're educating our clients and our community our patients we are using the most up-to-date research and so that's kind of a mouthful a big answer but to compare that to a nutritionist there's a lot of programs out there that are kind of a fast track to uh, just calling yourself a nutritionist and not to downplay the work that they're doing i think they all have a place uh, but when you, as a client or a patient, are seeking the help of a nutrition professional, it's important to understand the difference. And so that way, you know what's the best fit for you. And so how would maybe a prenatal mom know which one or do I need the combination of a fit? How do they know what to look for? That's a good question. So unfortunately, there's no specific certification for prenatal nutrition. It's a lot of, you know, self-taught seeking out the research, looking for the evidence-based research that you can kind of specialize in and put all of your time and effort into devoting your education towards that. And so that's exactly what I've done. And so I obviously use all of my dietitian evidence-based background 
and just focus it on women's health during the prenatal period. I also work with moms postpartum and really help them with healing in the fourth trimester, as well as making sure that they're, if they choose to breastfeed, enriching their breast milk so that baby's getting everything they need as well. I love that. So when you're, you know, in the community and people are asking you, do you really want somebody who's just a nutritionist or do you want somebody really maybe who has the background of a dietitian because the dietitian requirements are just a deeper dive? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I think the value where a dietitian comes into play is just making sure that they have those strict rules and guidance on what their education look like, looks like, what their background is. Uh, whereas a nutritionist, you know, they may just kind of be hitting the tip of the iceberg. So they aren't able to provide medical nutrition therapy to um, clients regardless of what they're seeking. So it's not just pertaining to uh, prenatal or pregnant moms. And so it's, I, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but just making sure that you're working with someone that has that education and that background. Um, nutritionists just don't have that. Uh, they don't have the years, like a lot of times, like my schooling was five years. You know, that's a long time to be focusing on one particular subject. And so you go through all of the anatomy and physiology of the body. You're going through biochem and chemistry and really getting into like the deep dive of how nutrition works in our body and how it optimally improves our health. Whereas with nutrition programs, they just don't have the time to be um, devoting to that. So it may just be like, and again, I'm not, I don't like to like downplay any professional in the field because everybody has their place, but it's just, it really boils down to like, how much experience and knowledge do you want your practitioner to have? Right. And so if you have maybe a mom who's pregnant with twins or more high risk, maybe an older mom, then we probably would want somebody maybe who had that deeper dive of a dietitian on board with our moms. Is that sort of the way it looks like? Because we have more medical maybe complications or more medical implications that we would want somebody who had more of your background because they have such a bigger, broader, deeper um, pocket. Absolutely. And also, you know, the population who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And, you know, that's something I work with. I've had quite a few clients who've been diagnosed with that. And so I help them naturally manage their blood sugars. And then even though I'm a registered dietitian, I have this scope that I practice in too, right? So if a mom is struggling with managing her blood sugars with all of the tools that I'm implementing, and we notice there's trends with high blood sugars, then I refer out to a certified diabetes educator because then there's a place for that professional too. So I think it's, again, just looking at the level of education that's needed to pair best with each client. And so you're right, you hit the nail on the head there with making sure that you have someone that has the experience to be working with those clients and having that education and background to best support them. So Amanda, in your work now, how do you get referred people? How, how is it best for providers to like reach out to you? And, and, you know, is it coming from physicians or all kinds of different providers or word of mouth? Like, what does all that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, my business is new. So, you know, I'm learning all of that and working on networking with providers in our community. Um, currently, I've had mid midwives refer to me. Um, they've reached out on Instagram and just say, hey, are you, can you take this client of mine? And so that's been like the primary channel of receiving referrals right now. Uh, I'm currently working on getting my website a nice little makeover. So I'm hoping that that can be 
the first channel through referrals here shortly. Oh, that's great. So do you, a lot of physicians refer to as well or more midwives and nurse practitioners? And how could we help maybe our, our community and medical professionals understand how vital role you play for um, natal patients? Well, I think that's the million dollar question. I would love to um, have a better or even just have a relationship with providers in our area. Um, right now, I feel like I have a great relationship with a lot of the midwives because I think they right off the bat understand how important nutrition is during pregnancy and during the postpartum period. So having that support, I think they just understand the value and really are excited to have someone like myself in the area that specializes in pregnancy mm -hmm. nutrition. But I, I wish I had the answer for you on how to get in with the providers. I do not know. <laughs> I would love to work with them. So say this year in the hospital and, you know, a mom gets referred to you. Who is referring there? Like the hospitalists or the OBGYNs? Maybe they came in because they're high risk and, you know, they needed to be looked at and put on bed rest. Do you get patients in that way too as well at the hospital? I wish. No, I, I, there's hasn't been, I haven't received one referral from a hospital provider. So it's kind of disappointing, but I, I try not to get down on myself because I've only been practicing with nesting nutrition, my business for a year now. So it's growing and there's always new opportunities, but I haven't yet got to that space yet. Yes. I, I, and again, I'm just asking because I know in our own community, like we have work to do, right? To educate, to teach, to help people understand as a community why your service is so valuable. So when you think about prenatal, you know, nutrition, some people get freaked out because they're like, oh, she's going to control my diet. So talk about how you help people understand why they need to think through these things, maybe in a different way while they're pregnant. So with my clients, I always meet them where they are. So I always offer free 15-minute discovery calls where we kind of talk about what their goals are, what they would like to achieve, any concerns they have. And then I kind of talk about my philosophy and how I put food first. We, again, I really meet the clients where they are. So when we work together, I actually have them track their food in this application that's all HIPAA compliant. And they can take pictures of their food and show me what they're eating. And then I can pop in and just kind of say, hey, that looks great. Maybe try adding XYZ to that next time. And so it's kind of like a slow process where we're working together. They have constant communication with me, constant messaging, where they have that support that they wouldn't maybe otherwise have in another setting. And so I meet them where they're at. You know, I don't expect everyone to know everything about food. Otherwise, they wouldn't be working with me, right? So there's no shame that's ever coming from me. I'm very empathetic in my support with moms. I've been there, done that. Sometimes it's even hard to practice what I preach. I mean, I during my first trimester, I remember struggling to eat food because I had the most intense food aversions and I couldn't eat eggs, even though I knew and know how important they are. I was living off of honey bunches of oats. Now, is that ideal? No, but at least I was eating something. So I use that um, experience to be more compassionate with my clients and make sure that they understand that, you know, you're not going to be eating perfectly all of the time, but here are some resources and some tips to try to do it maybe 80% of the time. And then let's see where those gaps are and what supplements can we use to fill those gaps to make sure that you're optimally nourishing your body 
to benefit both you and baby? So if someone, like say I referred somebody to you and they, they did their 15-minute consult, then how do you start the process? Do you like to see them more in the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester? Like how, how important do you think each stage is? I know in that first trimester, so many of our moms are so nauseated and have so many fluid aversions that it is stressful for them. So talk us through that a little bit. Do you want to see them during that time as well? And, and why and how it works? Absolutely. So that's one thing that's been my goal is like how to reach moms early on, because a lot of my clients are typically like towards the middle or end of their second trimester. And it's never too late to implement good food practices, right? You know, it's never too late to focus on nutrition. But if I could reach moms early on in the first trimester, I could really help them uh, manage those pregnancy symptoms. And so that way they could alleviate some of that stress when it comes to food, because a lot of times when we first get pregnant, you know, we're like, oh gosh, what do we do? I need to make a doctor's appointment. Like that's everybody's like first thing. And then maybe they decide, oh, I'm going to go with a midwife or I'm going to do a home birth or whatever. It's always all over the place. But nutrition is something that you have to think about every day because we have to eat to survive. And it can be very stressful because maybe you don't want to eat anything or maybe you're so nauseous that you can't eat anything. So if I could start meeting with clients early on and give them tips and tools to kind of manage those complications, it would be really helpful. And then Typically with my packages, I kind of space things out based on what the client's needing. So for example, if I'm working with a mom who's been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, we're probably going to be meeting much more frequently. So every week to make sure that she's managing her blood sugars. And then once she's at a place where she's stable and she feels like she has it, then we're good. I don't, I'm not someone who's going to push sessions just because, you know, I'm trying to make money or something. That's not my philosophy. It's more I trust what the mom is feeling. She can continue packages or sessions as long as she would like. But when I have the opportunity to meet with moms earlier on, if I can stay with them and space out our appointments to where we're meeting like every, you know, every other month or just maybe we want to do it once a trimester, whatever that mom feels would be the best support for her, I'm there. So my packages are very flexible. And no matter which package a mom chooses or how far apart she wants her sessions, She's always going to have that one-on-one capability for messaging me to have that support so she doesn't have to rely on Dr. Google to get answers to her nutrition (laughs) questions. I love what you just said because I really feel strongly that we should stop relying on Dr. Google and have somebody like you. So let's talk about that first trimester when people are more nauseated and just not feeling as good. What are some of the, you know, just give us a couple examples of maybe things that you would help a mom with during that first trimester. Yeah. So with food aversions and nausea and vomiting, really what we like to focus on is protein. So prioritizing protein in your foods and your choices is ideal. And it can help alleviate a lot of that nausea or food aversions. And so just some really simple things that some may not think about, like cold protein foods that don't have a lot of aroma. So things like nuts or nut butters, jerky, sometimes hard-boiled eggs can be something like if they're not too like smelly, those can all be things that can really like help us kind of get through that tough period. And then also really relying on our support system. So whether that be your spouse or a friend or another family member, having them help you prepare food so you don't have to see it or touch it, smell it really, because that can be a trigger too. Uh, That can really help us kind of get through. And then we can also look at um, supplements. So vitamin B6 is something that can really help alleviate nausea. And 
Another thing is looking at vitamin B6 rich foods. So things like avocados, bananas, uh, pistachios. Pistachios are great because they're also rich in fats and proteins and they don't have an aroma. So it's something that a lot of moms can easily keep down. So let me ask you just in that first trimester too. So sometimes like eating habits. So do you think some moms are just waiting too long between their eating time frames too? And that's why... You know, they they have more aversions or different sensations they feel. Do how timely are you having them eat during that time frame? Absolutely. So small frequent snacks is ideal. And I say snacks because a lot of times, again, in that first trimester, like you can't even like think about eating a full meal because it just doesn't sound good. And so it's kind of like this double-edged sword. If you don't eat for a long period of time, like if you're going hours between food, your blood sugar starts to drop and then you're going to feel crummy. And so it's kind of like low blood sugar crumminess paired with, you know, pregnancy symptoms. And that's just not a place to be. I experience that myself. And yes, it can be so hard to manage. But if you can just find something that you can stomach every couple of hours, it's really going to help you through. Cheese is another one, like string cheese is another really great one that you can just kind of snack on or nuts are just, again, like I know I've already mentioned them, but a really, really easy snack to go to where you can just kind of eat a few at a time just to get something Mm -hmm. in. And then of Mm -hmm. course, you know, because eating food during the first trimester can be such a struggle, working with someone like myself who can help find you a high quality prenatal supplement that can help fill in those gaps during the first trimester Mm -hmm. is really, really important. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I think uh, just people knowing maybe protein more in their diet and then having those short, you know, those meals that are coming, snack meals or small meals, um, then they don't have maybe so much overwhelming nausea. Sometimes mamas come into my office in the first trimester and they like haven't eaten all day. And I'm like, okay, Uh wait a minute. You know, that's just exhausting. And and I think then it makes it worse. I really appreciate you sharing that. That's important. I think information in the first trimester that so many people need to know, you know, protein and then um, meals closer together. So tell me now, like in that second trimester, what are some things? Because, you know, that baby is really growing changing so much. And of course, that baby's always going to get all the nutrition and all the food. And then the mama sometimes is sort of dragging around when they come in my office. What are some key things maybe during that time frame? So another great question, really just focusing on eating enough food and focusing on those nutrient dense foods. So one common pregnancy nutrition myth is that you're eating for two. So moms may think that they have to like double their portions or eat all this food. And that's really not the case. You know, the most additional calories you're ever going to need throughout your pregnancy is about 500 calories more a day, but that's not even until the third trimester. Mm -hmm. So I really focus on nutrient dense foods with my clients. So looking at things like fatty fish, things like salmon, red meats, organ meats, liver. I know everyone kind of turns their nose to that, but it's like really nature's multivitamin. You can sneak it in meatloafs or chili or do like a liver pate. There's things you can do. Also focusing on produce. So fruits and vegetables, especially leafy greens, they are just rich with antioxidants and fiber and lots of vitamins and minerals. And then of course, don't skimp on fat. I know a lot of people nowadays are, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of changing a bit, but I still see people who are kind of nervous to eat fat or afraid of it. And we need fat in our diets. It's needed for fat-soluble absorption of nutrients. So vitamins A, D, E, and K, we can't absorb them without fat. So we really need to focus on that, especially during pregnancy. It's, it's, It's so crucial to include in our diet. And then the overlying kind of 
I would say, secret to optimal health during pregnancy is managing your blood sugars. So a lot of people hear blood sugar and they think, oh, that's just for people with gestational diabetes or, you know, already pre-existing diabetes. And that's not the case. It's important for everybody, pregnant moms, dads, everyone. And so the trick to that is pairing carbohydrate-rich foods with proteins and fats. So I preach don't ever eat naked carbs. Uh, We always want them to have a friend. And that's just kind of one tip to stabilizing blood sugar. Of course, there's a whole slew of things to uh, achieve that. And that's why my business exists and why I help moms with that. But that's just one little tip that you can implement in your day-to-day nutrition. I think that's such an important piece, even postpartum, right? That we have that pairing of these foods. So if you look at fiber during this second trimester, will you talk a little bit about how much fiber you want, like soluble, uh, you know, versus non-soluble fiber and remembering that fiber gives us so much energy. How do you talk about that to your clients as well? Yeah. So I am someone who doesn't ever really like to give like exact numbers like, oh, you need X number of grams of fiber in a day because no one really understands that, right? Like that's not information that someone's going to take and Uh, be able to apply. So what I just focus on is whole foods first. So we really focus on those fiber-rich foods every single day. So we're looking at fruits and vegetables, things like chia seeds or, you know, whole grain foods. I, I, I do tend to teach lower carb because most women, pregnant women thrive anywhere on like 16 to 25% of their total calories in a day from carbohydrates. But again, things like, uh, or brown or wild rice, you know, sourdough bread, those are all great sources of fiber too. But ideally, the main source of fiber in one's diet should be coming from produce. That's Mm -hmm. fair. I love that. Uh, Sometimes what happens in our practice is our moms that second trimester just have some bowel constipation that starts and it seems like that bowel's a little slower. I think that's probably why we talk about some fiber stuff and why sometimes I want someone to like you to help me with my moms at this stage. So because suddenly it seems like, you know, there's not as much room at the end, right? And so that whole peristalsis pump is a little slower. And, you know, I just, I I want you to share with me a little bit because I want to understand too when we're you know, chatting and talking like, hey, soluble versus non-soluble fibers. Is that something that you have conversations about? Because some of our people might be having such um, bulky fiber that then everything is slowing too much. So share, share with me a little bit about that. Yeah. So a lot of times I find when people are having issues with constipation, it's mostly due to a lack of fluid intake. So if you don't have enough fluid pushing things through, you're going to get jammed up. Or if you realize, oh gosh, I need to eat a lot of fiber, they may go from like zero to a hundred with their fiber intake. And anytime that you make those crazy changes and you don't also increase your fluid intake, you're going to have some issues. Um, But as far as like soluble and insoluble fiber goes, the one food that I preach so much is chia seeds. And that's because chia seeds have that ideal balance between the two to where they're going to help regulate bowels, whether you're constipated or have diarrhea. They are just like this magical little seed that can help no matter what. And so that's something that I really educate my clients on and make sure that they understand how important chia seeds are because a lot of moms are looking for a more natural and holistic way to manage their constipation. So if we can get chia seeds in every day and, and enjoy eating them, then that's a great way to help. 
And just a few little tips on how to eat chia seeds, because I'm I'm sure some people are like, well, how do I eat these? My favorite way is to do a chia seed pudding. And it's super easy because I know most people don't have time to like make this elaborate homemade pudding. But you literally can just take a couple tablespoons of chia seeds and mix it with something like full fat coconut milk and a few drops of vanilla or even mix a little bit of peanut butter in there if you wanted to. Or I've had some people like to do like full fat chocolate milk mixed with chia seeds. And so you just literally combine the two put it in the fridge for maybe five, 10 minutes and then bring it out. And it's like this really yummy tapioca texture. It's so good. And it's, it's you know, friendly for blood sugar balance. You got that fiber in there. It's rich in magnesium. Really is just like this superfood for constipation and pregnancy. Thank you. I love that. That's going to help so many, so many moms and not just moms alone, but other people. So just an overview in second trimester, we're really just going to get um, nutrient dense foods in. And then maybe we look at some of these things like, you know, a chia seed type of pudding or, or, or something of that nature, right? To just help keep them so that their bowels are working consistently. Because it seems like some of that starts for us when we're seeing our moms in that neighborhood. So now let's look at the third trimester. I know this is exciting time. We're getting closer and baby's growing a lot. And I know you said before about 500 grams, I mean, sorry, 500 calories more is all you need, you know, really. And so what happens during this time frame and where, what things do you see here that really help people? Yeah. So again, just really focusing on blood sugar balance. A lot of times um, we're running out of room to eat a lot like big meals at that time. So we kind of go back to smaller frequent meals. You know, some moms are starting to experience heartburn at this time. So I'm starting to identify any triggers that might be happening, making sure that after you're eating that you're staying upright and not going right to bed because that can kind of cause some issues with heartburn. But really this last trimester, you know, baby's brain is really developing. So we still want to really focus on any foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids. So those are things like fatty fish, so like salmon, um, sardines, and then also looking at things like eggs that are really rich in choline to help with that brain development. And liver, of so course, we, but liver is not everybody's yeah. go-to. So. I know, I love it that you keep saying liver it is. It's so important and it's hard to do sometimes for some of us. So Amanda, when you're thinking through then like this third uh, trimester time frame, do you find like, you know, certain, you know, like you're kind of talking about before bed, don't lay down, you know, too close to bed. But do you feel like sometimes, you know, women need a little small meal before bed or some kind of snack to sort of sustain them through the night? Is there anything that like that that you see? Absolutely. And that's actually one of the little tricks in my tool bag, I guess, if you want to call it that, for my moms that have gestational diabetes. So having that bedtime snack is so important for blood sugar maintenance overnight. And that's not just for those with gestational diabetes. I don't want to like confuse that for anybody, but having just a little something before bed, something like a protein and fat rich snack. Sometimes, you know, you have a sweet tooth and one of my go-tos is dark chocolate. So it's really, really rich uh -huh. in magnesium, which can help with sleep is also pretty rich in fat. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar and it satisfies that sweet tooth all while giving you nutrients. It's just, it's a win-win all around. That's awesome. So as a mom's getting closer to labor and delivery, is there any tips you have for her? You know, maybe in those last few weeks, things that might help her 
you know, to have a better labor and delivery? Is there anything in that way that you ever see in your practice? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, are you talking more about like how to prepare for labor or are you talking about like well, postpartum preparation? Um, no, no, this is like right before labor and delivery, maybe in those few weeks before trying to help them have the vision of like, maybe do they need snacks? Do you know what I mean? During that whole labor and delivery time. So, you know, if they're lab laboring for hours, like what kind of things do you recommend for them? Absolutely. So I actually did a reel on this not too long ago. And it is definitely important to plan and have some ideas ready to go. Maybe have like a little bag packed that has some snacks in it. So that way you can have that nourishment during labor because you can plan for it all you want and think that you're going to have like this glorious fast labor, but that's not always the case. So you always want to have something there because the worst thing would be to be laboring and be hungry and not have that nourishment there, have the foods that you enjoy. So just some like quick little snacks to grab. I like frozen grapes and string cheese are kind of an easy one or uh, like some yogurt or smoothies, or even just something like applesauce can be good just to kind of get those carbs if you're really needing it. And having also like an electrolyte drink available because you are really going to be depleting fluids and electrolytes during labor. And so having uh, that available to replenish you is always important. But, you know, you may be planned for all of that and then not eat anything because that's exactly what happened to me. I had all of these snacks and I think I ate one honey stick and one frozen grape my entire labor. So, you know, it's better to be prepared and not need it than the alternative. Yes, I love that. It's such good tips because I think sometimes, you know, you're packing your bag to go and then you sort of forget the foodie part and then you get there and you don't have what you need that, you know, those little things sometimes. And then you're right. Sometimes you you don't eat absolutely nothing and that's just the way it is. But to, it's better to have things on board. So let's move on to just the postpartum time frame and just share a little bit, you know, in that first six weeks, we we talk about it like, oh, that first 40 days of a mom, you know, you're trying to get her milk in and trying to get all that to happen. What are some of the things that maybe her family system or that she can do before to like have good things on board and ready for her so that she can feel good and heal well? That's a great question. And I don't think that our community emphasizes the need for postpartum healing enough. I think we're getting there, but um, there's definitely a lot of improvements to be made. And so this is something that I actually work with my clients on. No matter which package they choose, I always offer to spend at least one session talking about how do we ramp up our diet for healing in the fourth trimester? How do we make sure that we're doing everything we can to have the best breast milk for baby? And so I actually have a pretty extensive list of freezer prep meals, like recipes for freezer prep meals that I share with my yeah. clients. But, you know, if if you're someone that's not working with me, I would just encourage you to at least think ahead and get a plan for what you're going to do, whether that means you have freezer meals ready to go um, or maybe you sign up for a meal delivery service like HelloFresh. Uh, or you have family and friends who are nearby who can do a meal train and start bringing you foods, have them sign up for different times. Or maybe you're lucky enough to have um, family nearby that can just come cook for you. Like that's great too. Like whatever that looks like for you, have a plan because I will tell you the worst place to be is a fresh new mom with a little baby that you're not sleeping much and your husband's running around trying to do everything he can and you both don't know what the heck's going on and you're hungry and you're hangry. 
and baby's hungry and you just don't have any food. So does it sound like this may have happened to me at least one day during the postpartum period? Because it did. So I love it. thank you for telling us that. And, and what you're just going to tell me, just overview wise, like maybe what are your top three favorite freezer meals for people? Because then we can maybe just share with some of our people, hey, like these are great things to have in your freezer that you feel like are good nutrient dense foods for a, a mom after baby. Absolutely. So I love anything with like slow cooked meat, like crock pot meals like soups, things that incorporate broths, really warming nutrient dense foods can help with healing. So glycine is a type of protein that really aids in skin elasticity and helping with our um, pelvic area kind of go back to where it was before. So we do need a lot more glycine during that healing period. And so foods that are rich in that are the bone broths, anything like pulled pork or slow cooked beef, those things are all going to be great. So I love any type of like stew that you can make ahead of time freeze that i also we did like chicken enchiladas were a really easy one that had chicken from like slow cooked chicken that had the bones there that were all kind of like broken down and you get that collagen in your food and then also you know it's good to have snacks on hand so maybe making like a few little energy bites like protein balls or protein bars or something like that with like peanut butter and nuts and oats and you know maybe some like dates or something in there, like some kind of fruit is also a, a nice addition. So answer this first too. Like if we know, hey, a mama needs more healing, maybe she had, you know, more tearing in the floor or maybe, you know, she's just more fatigued. Are you suggesting that they have more protein than maybe they would normally eat just because then that would help with some of their healing? Or how do you feel about that? Absolutely. I mean, protein is needed for healing. And so that's something that I can work with clients with in the postpartum period is looking at like, how was your labor and delivery? You know, did you have a lot of tearing? Like you're mentioning, maybe they ended up having a C-section or something like that. So we do need to think about what that situation looks like for each mom and find the exact protein needs that they're needing. And then I can help apply that to what the food would be. So, you know, again, like a mom's not going to know like, oh, I need you know, two grams per kilogram of body weight of protein, like how does that translate into food? So again, as a nutrition professional, as a registered dietitian, that's something that I can help with. Absolutely. I know in our practice in the pelvic health world and PT, we often just say, hey, like you're increasing your amount of protein maybe by 20 to 30% just to help you. But I would way rather have someone talking to you about more of the details and then helping them work through them because we don't want them to get hyper-focused on, you know, oh, how much of this and how much of that? Because they're already so overwhelmed and they have this baby they're bonding with, but just having the understanding sometimes of all that it helps them. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I need to increase it a little right. bit more than I did before. And I think that gives them the the drive to look at it and say, oh, this is what I should be doing. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you talked a little bit before about the whole milk part of this, like enhancing a mom's milk and that sort of stuff. Uh, talk a little bit about maybe some of the specific things that help with that. Yeah. So interestingly enough, our nutrient and fluid needs during breastfeeding are actually higher than when we're pregnant. So I think a lot of moms think like, oh, the baby's here. You know, I've, I've done my work with, you know, maybe the things I've changed in my diet. I mean, the hope always is, is that they're going to take those principles and apply them to lifelong changes. But, you know, everybody has a different way of doing things. So I like to preach that you're still growing a baby. The baby's just on the outside of us. 
And so we still want to really focus on making sure we're getting adequate protein. B12 plays a huge role in growth, and that is something that's secreted in our breast milk. So we want to make sure that we're eating a lot of animal foods, which are rich in B12. Also, choline. Choline needs are so high during that postpartum period, and that's something that's transferred to baby through breast milk. Choline is very rich in eggs. And so I'm all about eggs. I know we've talked about eggs a lot today, but it's definitely a superfood and something that you should be focusing on. And then as well as making sure that you're getting enough fluids because your fluid needs are through the roof when you're breastfeeding. You're going to be so thirsty. It's not even funny. So find a water bottle you love and keep it filled up and nearby and just make sure that you're you're being mindful of that. And then lastly, oh, not lastly, but just another one, omega-3s are really, really important to continue, including because that DHA is so important for a baby's continued brain growth. And so focusing on the fatty fish and, you know, if you're not a fish eater, we can work together to find an omega-3 supplement that's of high quality and in the ratios that you need. So some of our moms struggle with the fact that maybe they're vegetarian or they're, you know, vegan or these sorts of things. Are, is it is it a good thing then for us to say, hey, listen, you really need to talk to somebody because maybe they're not getting enough of these types of foods during that time frame and they're not realizing how important it is. So what are some of the things you do with those moms to help them? Yeah, so to be quite honest with you, I've turned away clients that are very strict vegans because ethically I cannot support that diet during pregnancy or during the postpartum period. There's too much research showing that strict vegans just cannot get the nutrients needed to have an optimal pregnancy to, you know, nourish your body and nourish baby. So again, it's just ethically I cannot support that. On the other hand, vegetarians, you know, as long as they're open to being a lacto-ovo vegetarian, meaning that they consume milk, um, eggs, and well, pescatarians too, and fish, then um, that's something we can definitely work with. A lot of times those vegetarian clients are going to need additional supplementation because they, you know, their diet is just <laughs> lacking in a lot of nutrients. So iron being one of them, it's just really hard to get enough iron on a vegetarian diet because the best sources come from red meats. Our bodies are, you know, just kind of set up to absorb that heme iron over the non-heme. And there's definitely things you can do to increase the non-heme absorption, but you have to eat a ton of plant foods to even get close to what you're going to get from red meat. So sorry, that's kind of a soapbox for me. I could go off on that with a while. Now, no, I'm Amanda, I really appreciate that, though, because I think we have to have that kind of conversation. And then, you know, think of it, it's hard enough for a mom to, you know, eat during postpartum period because she's so busy. Right. And then and then, you know, having to have such specific things, we need her to understand why she needs all these things, you know, during that time frame. And I think it's important to to say these things. We need to have that conversation. I loved it when you were at the birth and baby fair and you were talking all about eggs because it was so interesting to kind of look around at everybody because I believe like you do eggs. Oh my goodness. I don't know how people don't have them in their diet. And I loved how you talked about like all these different ways to do eggs. <laughs> and I think it's really, well, it's important too, because, you know, maybe somebody you know, doesn't like a hard boiled egg, you know, but maybe doing it some other way, you know, they could tolerate. So just to kind of, you know, turn our nose at an egg, maybe in a hard boiled fa fashion, even though it's kind of easy to do, 
it's just important, I think, for people like, okay, maybe take that hard boiled egg and put it on your, you know what I mean, on your sandwich, or you put it, you know, like on your salad and mix it up with other things. And you just were really good at explaining like the beauty of the egg. And I was like, okay, this is good because I think that makes an easy thing for, you know, a mom. Yeah. And I mean, other things you can do is, you know, although you're not getting a ton of the egg, but look at it in baked foods, you know, so you could do like casseroles with eggs or like zucchini bread, stuff like that. We could even do like a a protein pancake in the morning where you're using eggs as the base over something like milk. So there's definitely tricks you can do. And those are all things that I work with my clients with. But I'll be very honest, if eggs are something that a mom is just, you know, really opposed to, we're going to be adding in a choline supplement because we cannot, you know, miss out on that very important nutrient throughout pregnancy or postpartum. No, I really appreciate that. And I think it's important to realize maybe you can get some of these things other ways, but if you're not able to, is okay. So talk a little bit about, because some people have feelings about supplementation during pregnancy. So will you explain that a little for us? Yes, I've been seeing a lot of stuff on social media right now, kind of talking about, well, you don't need supplements during pregnancy. And it it really kind of hits a nerve with me. And the reason being is that pregnancy is a time of stress. So our body, you know, our body isn't really recognizing the difference between stressors. Okay, so it's it's just a fact. Pregnancy is stressful on our body and we just have to be mindful of ways to kind of work with it. So it's not necessarily like a bad stress. Obviously, pregnancy is a great thing, but it's a lot for our body to endure. And so supplementation is there to supplement a high quality diet. It's never (laughs) going to replace a poor quality diet. And we just have to be mindful of how we can optimally nourish our bodies during pregnancy and postpartum. So I just think it's very negligent to say that you, that supplements don't have a place during pregnancy because that's just, that's not true. You know, they're there, the supplements are there to fill the gaps. Even as a registered dietitian myself, knowing what I needed to eat during pregnancy, it's very, very hard to achieve the optimal level of nutrients without some type of supplement help. Supplement (laughs) regimens will look different for everybody. And that's why I do personalized supplement protocols for all of my clients. There's not one size fits all. And, uh, you know, again, it's just, it frustrates me to hear people say that we we shouldn't be taking supplements. It's, you have to look at the quality and, you know, make sure that you're, you're taking the right ones, not just blindly yes, taking something. And Amanda, I think it's so important what you said, individualized uh, programs. And this is why you are so important to what we're doing in our community when we're doing prenatal and postpartum care, because this is individualized things that we're after for people. It's not like saying, oh, there's a list of 700 supplements here you're taking out. No, we're looking at their, their already their foodie intake, right? And then we're saying, hey, these are the things. And so I love it that you're explaining that because I think people maybe are missing pieces and then they don't really realize, no, that supplementation is necessary to have a quality of life. Which brings me into I know which is your love, which is um, health and wellness. And I just love it that you think through like, you know, food as being, you know, for good sleep. Do you know what I mean? To promote good, healthy living choices, people's mood. So share with me a little bit about like how you see food affecting people's mood, you know, their quality of sleep their quality of life, because I love that you are so holistic in the way you look at it. And I think, you know, a mom after she has a baby and this is their first baby, maybe it's a lot. And she has to figure out now, how am I going to start feeding 
myself, my, my partner, my baby, my everything. And yet you're looking at it from such a beautiful component saying, look, I want you to have a healthy mood, you know, a healthy physical lifestyle, but also healthy sleep and a healthy family. I love it. I think it's so important what you're doing in that vision. Yeah, that's a great, a great point. And that's exactly why I include personalized meal plans for all of my clients. So what I do is, you know, obviously I'm meeting with the clients, getting to know them. They do an extensive intake form. And then I create what's called a custom nutrition prescription for them, which is something where I'm running all the numbers in the background to find out exactly how many macronutrients and micronutrients they need. And then it gets applied into meals that are easy to understand for my clients. And so the meal plan platform that I use is so wonderful and I absolutely love it because what it does is it takes that nutrition prescription and then it creates all of these foods that the client can see from their end on this very friendly, easy to use app. And then if they see a food that maybe it doesn't sound good or it doesn't look like something they would eat, they can swap it out for a nutritionally equivalent counterpart. And so... You know, I really, really want my clients to enjoy what they're eating. I never want it to feel like a chore. We should, that it should be something that we're looking forward to, right? So I hope that with my services, including the meal plans with all of my packages, really allows my clients to take the guesswork out of what to eat and just be able to, you know, have those grocery lists created for them so they don't even have to like think about it. I've had a lot of really positive feedback from that service. And I know as a busy mom, just meal planning for the week can just seem like this huge task. So having that already set up for you to where you can just, you know, make a few clicks, have an extensive grocery list and then go get the foods. It just makes it so much easier. And so with these meal plans, you know, you're make you have the confidence in knowing that all of your foods are nourishing and that you're meeting all of your nutrient needs. So Amanda, how do you think some foods then affect sleep patterns? Because the, you know, so a lot of my moms are like, hey, I'm not sleeping well. Of course, they're getting up and down with baby anyway. But are there some foods that help in that sleep or maybe in that whole mood adjustment for moms? Yeah. So there's been some research showing that things like tart cherry juice can like help with sleep. Of course, magnesium has um, its place there too. So focusing on, you know, including those types of things can be helpful, but all around just making sure that you're getting enough calories throughout the day and nutrients throughout the day, because going to bed hungry is never, you know, helpful for anybody. (laughs) So, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're hungry, I let my pregnant moms know, like, you can eat something if you want to. You don't have to wait until the morning. So um, I hope that answers your question. I don't know of any secret food that's going to just, like, you're going to sleep. I mean, if that exists, I would love to know about it. I wish there was one too, but I don't think there is either. No, No. I I like it though that you're kind of saying that, you know, utilizing those foods. Though, if you do wake in the night and you're starving, you know, it's okay. Like you're breastfeeding and there's, and sort of giving moms permission. I think it's really important to help them realize like sometimes that's what you need. You know, we don't want you hangry. And then that affects mood. So let's talk a little bit about postpartum depression and anxiety. Do you think, I mean, in our pelvic health world, we see if a mom has, you know, pelvic pain or low back pain, you know, during pregnancy, then she has more risks for postpartum depression and anxiety. Do you see that with maybe people who maybe aren't having 
their food regulated well, that they have a, a more difficult time postpartum with mood. So there's actually some research showing that vitamin D deficiency, omega-3 deficiency are linked to postpartum depression. And so those are two things that we need to be mindful of. Our primary source of vitamin D actually doesn't come from fruit at all. It's coming from the sun. So with us living in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we're lacking yeah. that sunlight for a better part of the year. And so I, that's something else that I work with my clients with. We look at their lab values and we look for those optimal ranges just because you get your lab work back and it says that your numbers are within normal limits. It doesn't mean that that's optimal. And so I think that's just something that's lacking a lot in the provider's education or standpoint. You know, they, they aren't specializing in nutrition. And so that's something where I kind of come into play and help support those providers in making sure that you know, moms are getting the optimal amounts of vitamin D. And a lot of times we do see the need for supplementation. And again, like making sure that we have optimal levels throughout pregnancy will just ensure a better postpartum experience. And then with omega-3s, uh, you know, eating those omega-3 rich foods, things like salmon two to three times a week can ensure we have optimal levels. And a lot of times, you know, when I say you should be eating fatty fish two to three times a week, I get the jaw droplet. What? That's how much I'm supposed to be eating. So, you know, if that's not something that is feasible because of, you know, the expense of salmon or maybe we just can't get it in our community, then that's where, again, like supplementation comes into play. So it's very specialized for everybody. And that's just something that I'm looking at holistically for every mom and letting them know that these nutrients can help potentially prevent postpartum depression. We don't know for sure if those two things, like, you know, that's not just the only piece of the puzzle, right? Like there's a lot of other things like you had mentioned can contribute to it. But from the nutrition side of things, those are definitely two nutrients that I keep kind of on the forefront with my moms. Thank you. That's really important. I like that the omegas and the vitamin D. So let's just think through this because I don't see it probably enough with my prenatal moms and postpartum moms that they're actually getting their lab values. So <clears throat> are you asking these providers or are you telling your, you know, your client, hey, go back to your provider and get your labs done so that we know specifically about your vitamin D? Because we're finding in our own practice that we have to ask for that. Like, hey, like we feel like this is an issue. So how are you handling that? And or or are your patients, clients coming to you and they already know those values? Yeah, so it's kind of a mix. I mean, I have the ability to order labs, but it's not the ideal situation. And I usually have clients who've already done their lab work. So typically what I do is I ask for them to share their lab values with me. And then we kind of review those together. And then I'll make recommendations like, hey, you know, I saw that you had your hemoglobin and hematocrit checked, but we really need to see what your ferritin levels are to see where your iron stores are. And so then, you know, I'll encourage them to ask for that through their provider. And a lot of times like midwives are like, oh, great. Yeah, let's get it. And, you know, it's it's usually not that expensive to have those labs drawn. And depending on what labs we're talking about, like if we're still talking about iron, and that's something that needs to be tested, ideally should be tested every trimester. So we can see like as that ferritin most likely starts to decrease, we can start to make changes in the diet. So maybe we can avoid supplementation. But, you know, if, if we don't have that lab work, then we're kind of, I don't like to blindly supplement, I like to know really what that client needs. 
And then the same thing with vitamin D, that's not like a routine lab value that's drawn. So you have to request it. I remember going through my own prenatal care. I had the opportunity to receive care in a couple different environments. And the first environment that I was in, you know, when I asked for those lab values, it was kind of, I got pushback, like, well, insurance isn't going to cover that. And I said, I don't care. I, I want those lab values. Can I please have them? So as a, as a patient or a client, as a pregnant mom, you need to be your own best advocate. And if you have the knowledge and know that these lab values are going to help you, whether that comes from a registered dietitian as myself making that recommendation or you as a um, pelvic floor therapist kind of telling people that these are things you should be looking at, then again, like just standing up for yourself and requesting those is going to only benefit you and baby. I love that. And I I just think that's important for us to remind our moms about as they're moving through this, like if they're not feeling well or they're not sure that, you know, it's okay to ask and it's okay to talk. I see more people getting, you know, their iron levels checked and things of that nature than probably vitamin D. And it seems like then the vitamin D doesn't come up in our case. Till, and we're like thinking, okay, maybe, you know, it's the middle of winter, right? And we're like saying, okay, probably this patient should have, you know, client should have had this all the way through you know, all the trimesters. And unfortunately, sometimes then they feel almost under the bus, you know, postpartum because they just didn't have enough on board. And now, you know, we're trying to go back and get all of that because I don't always see at the six-week follow-up visit, you know, lab work done with a vitamin D is, is part of it. So I think maybe helping our people realize like, hey, maybe that's a question or a thing to ask or please ask for. And like you just said, okay, if, insurance doesn't pay for it. It's okay. We need to know so that you're safe and that you feel good because we directly kind of see that correlation just in the whole healing mechanism if they don't have that vitamin D level on board with us, especially in the dead of winter. There's way more of that just because we happen to live in an area in the Pacific Northwest where we don't get sun every day. So yeah, no. Yeah. I like to tell my clients, like invest in your own health. You know, you're never going to regret investing in yourself. Uh, you know, Put your money towards yourself. If you have to prioritize financially where your money is going when you're you're preparing for baby, consider looking at, you know, different providers in the area that can support you, whether that be with a registered dietitian, a chiropractor, pelvic, you know, care. All of those things are going to be much better than making sure that you have like the perfectly decorated nursery because at the end of the day, like that's not going to matter. So That's just kind of my take-home message for the community. Amanda, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been incredible to just really learn about all the different things in all the trimesters. And I just love your input just for a holistic life and just how you look at the whole person, you know, inside their family system. And really, it looks like what you're doing is you're changing the way people may be look at their food and look at their lifestyle and and their involvement with food. And it, it, it preps them for the rest of their life with their family. So I, I love it. I love this app that you're talking about. And I think there's so much power in knowing and the knowledge and the visualization of seeing, hey, this is what I am doing. So again, thank you for your time. You're amazing. Amanda is also working with us inside uh, Birth Collective where we're actually doing childbirth education, nutrition, lactation, uh, pelvic health PT, and also mental health. So I look forward to sharing lots of different journeys with you as we help people in our communities um, 
you know, just have a higher quality of life, our moms and their families because of the work we're all going to do together. So thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, and we will look really forward to just keep moving forward in all your nutrition work and prenatal and postpartum care because I love it. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. All right. Good to see you, Amanda. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so Amanda, all you'll do now is just leave.